Well, good morning. I hope you're well. And I'd ask you to take your Bibles and turn to the book of Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. And the key verses I will look at uh, today will be verses 11 and 12 out of chapter 5. But for some measure of context, I'd like to read down through uh, <clears throat> verse 15. And then we'll uh, deal again, as I said, primarily with 11, 12, and part of 13. So if you'll follow along in your copy of the scriptures, Ephesians chapter 5, beginning with verse 1. Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love. Just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God is a fragrant aroma. But immorality or any impurity or greed must not even be named among you as is proper among the saints. Verse 4, and you, excuse me, and there must be no filthiness or silly talk or coarse jesting which are not fitting but rather the giving of thanks. For this you know with certainty that no immoral or impure person or covetous man who is an idolater, has an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore do not be partakers with them. For you were formerly darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light. Verse 9, for the fruit of the light consists in all goodness and righteousness and truth, trying to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. Do not participate in the unfruitful deeds of darkness, but instead even expose them, for it is disgrace even to speak of the things which are done by them in secret. But all things become visible when they are exposed by the light, for everything that becomes visible is light. For this reason it says, Awake, sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Therefore be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of your time, because the days are evil. Let's bow in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for the word of God. We understand according to the scriptures that, that the very spirit of Christ is with us, we have the Holy Spirit, uh, the second person, a third person, excuse me, of the triune God and the Godhead that are actively with us, both Son and Spirit, as they move in and work among us. But we thank you for the written word. It gives us something to tangibly put our hands upon and our eyes upon and our ears in attention to so that we might know that the thoughts that in our hearts can be tested and know whether it's of the spirit or whether it's from our own deluded minds or from the culture, the flesh, or some other evil or world-centered source. So we thank you for the written word which helps center us on what the Holy Spirit and the very Spirit of Christ would say to us. I pray that... You would guard my words, that my words would be fitly spoken today. I pray that they might be a, a, a real prick in the heart of each of us present, that we might think about these things outlined in the scriptures and what it means to have sacred words. I pray that you might bless this time together in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Well, I'd like for you to think about with me in terms of a subject about the children of the light and sacred words. The children of the light and sacred words. Uh, I'm going to attempt to probably read a little more than I sometimes do because I want to stay to the point. I want to be very uh, explicit up front with you about a couple of things that verse 12 is my primary point in the text today is verse 12. The other thing is I want to clarify that when I say children or youth or even anyone, but certainly young people or children are innocent in this context today, I am not denying their state as a sinner before the Lord, nor am I denying their need of a Savior. There is no moral person from the womb to their very last day on earth that is actually innocent in the sense of within of ourselves, meaning without sin. Innocence in this particular sermon is not related to denying a person's sinfulness, but to mean that children and indeed any persons, those who have not been exposed to certain evils up to that point in their life, are innocent. They are ignorant of evil in the sense of having a detailed knowledge of certain evil actions or thoughts, etc. So with that said, I want you to think about with me about being a child of the light. In this case, I mean born again, whether you're young or old, a Christian, and what it means to have sacred words. I would submit to you that in our world today, words have become very graphic. We describe matters, events, and objects in very vivid terms, if not somewhat even over-exaggerated terms. Many of our technological devices present the most brilliant of color. I am amazed at the plunge in price of the large flat screen TVs. We don't even own one. But I am amazed. You go into the places that have them, and you probably know what I mean. It is difficult if there's a large screen there not for it to captivate your attention. It doesn't matter if it's news, if it's, a, you know, if it's an animal show or a cartoon or whatever it is they're broadcasting. It is so encapsulating with its literally vivid nature of the way it's presented. Many of our technological devices are, are, are almost radical in their presentation. Uh, recently, one of our children took some, some money that, that had come their way and, and finally broke down and bought a camera. And I realized with phones, cameras are even becoming outdated. But there's still some value in cameras that have real good zoom and things like that. It was interesting to listen to the clerk explain between two particular brands, if I named them, you would know, and you might have your own opinions. Uh, but between this brand, which gives a more blended, more well-toned uh, uh, colors through the pictures, and this brand here, maybe a little more professional, gives vivid colors, almost exaggerated colors. In a sense, our contrast in society today is, is turned on super high now. We are absorbed literally by almost every presentation from the media. There is something else we who claim Christ have been at times absorbed with, and that is extreme language, micrographic details, even when it is under, unedifying or even when it is flat out evil. We Christians prize ourselves in being a people who are informed. We 
we try to be informed. And there's some sense in which we do need to be informed. We need to know about life, and we need to know about how theology applies to life. We need to know about a Christian worldview and how that relates to everything from secularism to Islam to politics to, you know, you just the family, jobs, employment, all these things, school, training. Yes, there's some sense in which we ought to know those things. We, some of us at least maybe are aware of the verse in 1 Chronicles 12, 32 that speaks of the men of Issachar who understood the times and knew what Israel should do. We ought as Christians to want to be that kind of a person who understands the times in which we live and knows how to rightly evaluate them and how to live in those times, how to respond. That's important. But even for believers, there is almost increasingly no information that is too coarse, too stark, and too graphic. Even in our in our books and literature, it is often that way. We rarely turn off the flat screens. We rarely turn off the news story. Or I had someone ask me this the other day, a believer, and, and it was a good question. I don't know if, when I've been asked this question. He simply said to me, do you listen regularly to the news? And then he actually went on to talk about private and family devotions and time and so forth. And, and one of his points was, if you spend your time absorbed in the daily news, you will not have time for these other things because it will captivate your heart. And we don't necessarily have to agree with him in every way, but when we listen to the radio, even Christian radio, the details revealed anymore in public fashion, it's revealed even in our Christian ads, revealed in our seminary magazines and our publications, everything, you know, from, from World Magazine to Baptist Press to, uh, you know, uh, Reformed magazines, seminary magazines, whether it's from Southern or Reformed theological, all these, often we look at these and we start looking at the ads and the things that are in these magazines. Did we understand that a century ago, these would be shockingly graphic, the statements in those? Not necessarily pornographic. I'm not necessarily saying they're lewd. I'm just talking about the very content, the, the intricacy of the detail revealed in even so-called Christian public, publications. Privacy is forfeited in the name of freedom of information, even among believers. The liberty to know the details, often the depths of evil. I would ask a question, though. Why do we need to know of these evils? Why do we need to expose those in our care unnecessarily so to these evils? Just a few decades ago, which increasingly seems so far away in time, but when a, what we would call a, a man with colorful language came into the room, we knew what that meant. We meant it typically someone who had a foul mouth. Who, and we would use a nice word to say colorful language. Uh, it's actually not quite colorful at all. But the point is, it was typically a coarse man. C-O-A-R-S-E. Not rough physically, but rough in, in terms of his spirit and who he is and his character. A crude man. But still, if a lady was present 
or if there were children present or youth, he might even look around and restrain himself and wait until they leave and then continue on with his conversation or the things he wishes to speak. But now in our day, these same men and increasingly, sadly, even the women never hesitate to restrain their language. There was a day when conversation was veiled. There was a day when we read the book of the Song of Solomon. We didn't allegorize it. We understood it was a picture of physical marriage between a husband and wife. But we didn't have to write graphic marriage manuals. The scriptures helped us understand some things that were right in marriage without having to get in explicit details. However, in our present day, if it can be spoken, it will be spoken. It does not matter who is present any longer. Even from the pulpit all too often, we will use phrases and descriptive terms for activities in Bible studies that a couple of generations ago, you would have had parents standing up or grandparents saying, that's the last day we'll be in that church. We will never put our children or our grandchildren will never sit under that kind of unnecessary description in a public setting. And what am I, what am I driving to? I'm just asking a question this morning. What happened to our veiled language as Christians? We can't control the lost world, but what about us as Christians? Does the Bible have something to say about using sacred language? Not, I debated even in thinking of a title, sacred or holy, and Sacred is a better word because it's not as strong as holy. Sacred is the idea of, of words that, that support that which is holy. God is holy. So our language, sacred language, is language that's full of honor and full of beauty and dignity. And it reveals what needs to be revealed maybe with a word or a statement. But it doesn't reveal the graphic details that don't often need to be stated. We never before have, as Christians, we who claim Christ have become so bombarded by the brazen display of evil conversations, discussions that don't edify our ears, our eyes, our minds, or our hearts. And sadly, those, those absences, if you will, of biblical taste are often even found in the circles of well-intentioned Christians. All of us need to know at the, at, at the time that we say something, whether it is fitting for the young, whether it is fitting in the presence of ladies, whether it is fitting in the presence of men, whether it is fitting to say in the presence of worship before God. Whether there's a place for us to say, does the scripture have something to say about living in a society that is so intensely and increasingly wicked in her expressions, how shall we respond and not end up being like them? I would ask you, in the conversations you and I are in, does it really need to be said? Does it need to be said with that much detail? Does it even need to be described? The Bible would tell us that our words and our expressions matter. 
that propriety and discretion ought to be the guide for our words, our conversations, and our descriptions. Discreet words. We don't use that word discreet much anymore. Discreet words ought to be the staple of a better Christian. Words that clearly deal with worldliness to point it out to your children or your grandchildren or even among husband and wife and in the, among the body of Christ that this is why we don't want to be a part of that thing. But do we after all have to go into all of the detail? We ought to use, may I suggest, the language of Zion. Sometimes I'm afraid our problem is we're trying, we're, we're, some cases we want to be relevant. I had someone say that to me many, many years ago, 15 or so years ago, that, that uh, Gary, the things you're writing out, uh, it was about, if you will, core values in a church body. You're using too much of the language of Zion. And I turned to this, he was an older brother in the Lord, I trust he's a brother, and his name was Ken, and said, what language am I supposed to use? If we're talking about Christ and redemption and sin and what's godly and what's ungodly and what's right and what the church's responsibilities are, the Christian and the family, what other language do we use but the language of Zion? And he proceeded to tell me over the course of some time and was in a little conference event for a couple of days that I needed to use language that the world understood, language that the world could identify with. That has always stuck in my crawl. Why is it that we need, in order to supposedly be relevant, we need to use their salacious words, their titillating words? Why do we need to do those things? Well, recently, uh, even before Pastor John was reading in Ephesians, I had been reading along and I came upon these verses again. And I want to share some thoughts with you about this. First, now I'll just give them to you in advance if you want to know them. Children of the light must not participate in deeds of darkness. Children of the light must not participate in deeds of darkness. I'll hopefully say them again. But so you have an idea where we're going here. Children of the light, secondly, must not even speak of things done in secret. We'll look at a verse with that. Verse 11 was the first one. That would be verse 12. And then third, children of the light ought to remain ignorant of evil and live in gospel light. And that'd be verses 13 and 14. I'll say them for you again, but let's look first at verse 11. Again, you had a, a context there where, where in, uh, Paul is saying in verse 1 to be an imitator of God. In light of everything said in chapter 4, be an imitator of God. And then he, he lays out that because Christ loved you, you should follow him in this way and be a fragrant aroma and there shouldn't be immorality and all these worldly things. And again, if we, if we skip on down and, and he begins to talk about those that are the children of light, the fruit of the light, really not the fruit of the Spirit. It's not a good translation statement there. Uh, it's the fruit of the light in the Lord. And you move on in, in, in verse 10, reminding us we're trying to learn what it means as a Christian to live pleasing to the Lord. How do I do it today, Lord? In this meeting I'm going to be in with all these people that I already know are going to say this, this, and this, or these people. How do I do that? How do I do that with my parents 
now that I'm an adult child and my parents do not agree or maybe your parents or my parents don't know the Lord and so that the relationship is how do I do these things as a child of the light? Verse 11 with emphasis there. Do not participate in the unfruitful deeds of darkness, but instead even expose them. I want to linger on this for a moment. This verse is a command, not a suggestion. It says, don't participate. Instead, expose them. It would do good for us to stop and say, this is a command. This is not an option. This is not a, I first had in there, children of the light ought not participate in deeds of darkness. And I began to look at the English and the grammar and say, that's not appropriate. This is a command. They must not participate in the deeds of darkness. Now, let me step back quickly and say, do we all sin? Yes. Do we find times that our heart battles anger, lust, greed? We have thought, of course we do. And, but we never revel in those things. And when we see them, the, the genuine believer begins to be quickly broken by, oh Lord, those thoughts. And we confess them. First John 1, 9, we ask God for his forgiveness because of what Christ did at Calvary and we go on. But it, the Christian has no legitimate reason to dabble in the deeds of darkness. Not to please a friend. And what that means is they asked me to go to the movie. They asked me to go to the conference. They asked me to come over and eat a meal with them and we were going to watch this or do this or be here or go there. And I, don't, I might offend them. You and I need to remember what Paul wrote here. We are not to participate in the unfruitful deeds of darkness. We're even to expose them and one of the ways we expose it sometimes is simply telling people no. I'm sorry. You can tell them of Christ even if they're loved ones. Tell the extended family, listen, well, I love to get together with you at Christmas but Christmas is not about Santa Claus. Christmas is about Jesus and I don't want to be a part of this event or that. I'm not saying it's wrong for you to go to your family. I'm simply saying there are times that we, they will want us to be a part of them in some segment or group. And the truth is we know it's not a good thing. These deeds of darkness are unfruitful. The deeds of the flesh, the deeds of the world system. We could go to Galatians 5 and read the deeds of the flesh there. But what do they do? They all defile. They always take the Christian who when they get separated from it later, if their heart is tender and teachable, the Christian closes the door, gets in their car after the party, the event, the place, whatever it was they did or participated in with reservation in their heart and they get back in and they know down inside it was unfruitful. It was not only a waste of my time, it actually pulled me a little further away from the Lord. It did not compel me to want to serve him more. There is never a case to justify my or your participation in the unfruitful deeds of darkness. Generally, as a general rule, my own personal motto is if the world does something, staunchly embraces it, I either won't or I better seriously consider it because in most cases it will be wrong. If I don't mean that, well, the world gets up and goes to a job every day and, well, sure, I'd love to be home with my family every day and we could talk more about these things and, and, and farm it all in the backyard. So I wished I could do that. But right now I haven't figured out a way to make enough money to sustain them to do that. 
So do I do what the world does? Yes, I get up at 5 o'clock every morning and, and go off and do what I'm supposed to do in order to help provide for them. In other words, I'm not saying that anything the world does. But I think you know what I'm saying. These ideas and ideologies and these thinking and these currents of thought, when the world embraces them, the system that's around us, a Christian ought immediately question, is this really biblical? And the more that the world system embraces it, that ought to put a lot more red flags in our minds. Something may not be right about this thing. These deeds must be exposed. We are called to live a holy and a separated life. And we could spend a long time, we could go look at a number of other verses. I have deliberately not included a lot of verses in this sermon. But you could go to all kinds of places in Proverbs. You could go to places in the Psalms. You can go to, of course, all of the New Testament writings and many Old Testament in the law and the commands, commands of old there about not being a part of those and to even expose them. He says that. How do you expose them? I will submit to you the best way to expose the unfruitful deeds of darkness is to live as a child of the light. Your life by your actions will expose the darkness around you. If you and I are candles in the dark, the light that emits from our life because of Christ at work in us Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ at work in us. God at work in us. That gospel work being progressively sanctified and worked out will repel the darkness around us. It will expose the darkness for what it is. You'll have those moments where they will say to you, you can't go along with that, can you? And you say, you know what? Gerald, you're, you're a great work friend, but I can't do that, and this is why. And in many cases, actually, the more they know you, they'll already know why you can't. Or you would say, I could go do this because this honors my Savior, but I'd really rather not be involved in that. Or it may not be something that's evil. It might be a case of it's wasted time. I could do that, but, you know, I really need, I need to spend this time with my wife and children in the Word of God. I, I just can't. I'd love to go do that thing. It's not a wrong thing, but it's an unfruitful thing, and I can't. If you and I live as the light, as children of the light, we will, by the nature of our lives, because of Christ at work in us, we will expose the darkness around us. Now let me move on to 12. For it is disgraceful even to speak of the things which are done by them in secret. And I want to take a moment and linger with that. Secondly, children of the light must not even speak of the things done in secret. Speaking of things done in secret brings disgrace to the speaker. Now again, I'm speaking in the context of Christians. This passage is written to believers the church at Ephesus, it's it, the, those who profess to know Jesus. And so he says that these deeds of darkness are so dark, they ought not even be spoken of. Your life will expose them. You don't need to get in graphic detail to do it. The speaker's life is often soiled by going into details. 
Speaking of these deeds of darkness in, in graphic details brings disgrace not only to the speaker, but to the hearer. There were many of us in our generation who our innocence was stolen away as a child, whether it was anything from pornography to other kinds of vile living to anger and wrath, abusiveness in a home. It could be any myriad of things. And in a very real sense, like somebody who spoils some of the Christmas myths, so to speak, and you, your, if you will, your innocence about that little Christmas myth, and I call them myth, you know what I mean. Those kind of tales that we develop around the Christmas season or have developed in the last century, those tales that we've developed, we discover later they were a myth. And, and if we use that illustration, when the child figures that out later, their, if you will, their innocence about that thing they were so excited is ruined. But do you know what? Talking about things that really count. When children are exposed to the deeds of darkness when they're little, their innocence is destroyed. Their, their, if you will, the soul of their heart is ripped out. No longer are they this, and I again do not mean pure-hearted, meaning they're without sin and without the need of a Savior. I think you know what I mean. They don't know about all the filth of the world. They don't know about the gutter of sin. They are innocent. And in our world today, unlike the world 30 years and 40 years ago, there was no internet. It was a novel thing when it came out. In the 90s, early 90s, maybe mid to early 90s, I remember when we finally got a computer. And then eventually when we got dial-up, we could actually look at it. So I heard a guy talking the other day about his web page. And he said he just sat there for for long periods of time and just stared at his webpage. He was so amazed. His own name was on the computer that anybody around could access. He didn't know what to do with it. And of course, it's become many more things. But do you understand the opportunity to destroy innocence in the lives of those who are here from us, who see what we give them, who read what we give them, or go to the places that we would lead them, the opportunity to destroy their souls is a thousand times more swift and more damaging than what any of us dealt with when we were children. Do you understand the, the, the opportunity to, ex, to expound the deeds of darkness has grown hundredfold. There is a, a man at Southern Baptist Theological Sem Seminary named Denny Burke, and I forget which office he holds, but he, he has some sim significant office there at the seminary position that he holds. I don't read him regular every now and then, but I just read a review about, I'm not going to say the author because I don't even want to give credibility, but it's a, a now fallen evangelical reformed leader who is, has proven not to be all that he said he was. But he and his wife authored a book about marriage and, and, and uh, Denny points out, and, and Denny would be in rough numbers my age or a little younger, mid-40s probably. He said, by the time I got to the end of that book from this Christian pastor... I knew all about the kinds of sinful things that can go on in a marriage 
that I had no knowledge of before. I didn't even know they were possibilities. Those are my words, not exactly his. Do you realize that what I'm, I want us to think about this morning, and I, and I would assume none of us here are guilty of these things, but we're all technology users. We're all in this world in which we live now. And what are we doing to preserve innocence? Are we using sacred words, holy words? Are we using words that veil that which is not necessarily sinful? It's appropriate in marriage, but it ought to be spoken of in gracious, cloaked words that leave things to be holy and honorable and not degrading. Paul says there in the text of the scripture that it is disgraceful even to speak of the things which are done by them in secret. Speaking of these things, supposedly in the name of Christ or the need to talk to the youth group or to talk to the student group at the, at the university, we're dealing with this with Luke now at a Christian school. A child learns too many, a youth learns too many details too soon. Too many things they do not even need to know. I remember reading one time, Corey Ten Boom, one of the the uh, uh, saints who died uh, a few years ago, 20 years ago or so, that she, her family, the Ten Booms, you may remember, helped a number of Jewish families during the Holocaust period in, in Europe. And they were not, they, they were Christians, but they helped hide Jews in their homes. And she has the famous book, The Hiding Place, so forth. But I remember that there was a point in her, she re re recollects back, that when she was little, she asked her dad a very personal question about families and how all those things happen and, and, and marriage and so forth. And, and her, dad, uh, her dad explained that, Corey, pick up my briefcase, my bag there, and I want you to carry it. And so she struggles to lift it and tries to carry it a short piece and puts it down. It's too heavy. And he says, honey, those things are too heavy for you. You will know them when you need to know them, but you have no need to know those things now. We have lost that in the Christian church. Not the denomination, but among believers. We've lost the idea that children do not need to hear everything adults hear in a sermon. They do not need to hear everything. They do not need to know. College students do not need to know. Marriage should be preserved for marriage and certain things should be saved for marriage. Our conversations about sodomy, you know what? There's a biblical word. Do we really need to get too much more graphic? Do we need to talk about all of the, the details? But the media says, remember, you and I need to know those things. I submit to you the word of God says, no, you don't. The Word of God says, I don't need these things. They do not edify. They are not lovely and, and of good repute. Philippians 4, 8 and 9. Whatsoever things are lovely and of good repute. And he goes on, think on these things. I submit to you as a Christian, we have failed to hold the ground on sacred words. Words that ought to, to guide and guard our conversations to the brother who's in the depths of sin. Not the brother, I'm sorry, the lost one who's in the depths of sin, who you befriend. 
and then they come to faith in Christ, they don't need to unload everything they know about their sinful past there at the church or in their home or even to their own children. You know what? It's enough to tell your children that I was a sinful boy or a sinful girl. I was a sinful college student. But God's grace redeemed me and those things are no more. I am now not what I was. And what I was, I am not now. I have been changed by grace. If you need to know someday, I'll tell you. But otherwise, they will die in history. They need not be known. Not because we're hiding something, but simply to say we're dishonoring those who hear. Why would Paul tell us not even to be disgraced by speaking of them? Many a youth or a young adult is soiled by evil because of adults who open their mouths too much. Because of adults who think, oh, well, they know now. They use the internet, so they know. I recently had someone tell me, you know, Gary, I don't know. And I don't want to know. Don't tell me. I know enough to know that's not a good thing. And that's all I need to know. We've lost that in the local church. Maybe not here, but in our lives, in our conversations with our families, our extended families. What about our speech should lend grace, not grime? Our tongue should speak of that which is high and holy, not which is low and base. Our ears ought to see that which is goodly, godly, and worthy. There's that Philippians 4, 8, and 9. Our ears should only want to hear that which is is good for the moment, for the edification and the need of the moment. Our hands and feet ought to want to go where it is good as the normal paths of life. There are some selected times when Christians are called to walk in the very den of sin. Yes, there are. There are some times when a Christian, an evangelist, a pastor, a pastor's wife, a missionary, a missionary, uh, you and I, that, that we may be called literally to go to the gutter to rescue the perishing. But we don't need to come out of the gutter and then tell everybody we know among our brothers and sisters about all the details of the gutter. Leave the gutter in the gutter. Leave it, for those who are redeemed, leave it covered under the blood. And for those who aren't, they will be judged, Revelation 20, by their deeds someday and the wrath of God will abide upon them forever simply because they would not bring their sin to Christ so that it would be washed and cleansed by his blood. When a Christian for the sake of evangelisms and missions is called to walk literally into the mouth of darkness, it ought to be under the cover of much prayer by his brethren with great caution lest his flesh be drawn away into evil or he degrade others as he gives reports about that work. These kinds of sinful places are not the dwelling places of the Christian in normal everyday living, not even, I submit to you, in daily witnessing. We don't have to tell them every sordid detail of our walk in sin before we were redeemed. We just need to acknowledge to them there's no question that I was a sinner under the wrath of God and needed a Savior. And brother, brother, in the loose sense of humanity, you also need that same Savior for the covering of your sins. Thirdly, 
And finally this morning, I want you to think about children of the light must remain ignorant of evil and live in the gospel light. If you look at, at uh, 13, and, and I'm going to lump 14 in there as well, but all things become visible when they are exposed by the light. For everything that becomes visible is light. For this reason it says, Awake, sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. And then he exhorts and says, Because of all of this, walk as wise men. And we could there's just a lot there. But in in 13, he says that everything that meaning that's dark will be exposed because the light will make it visible. And then he says, So wake up, sleeper. Now there are some different opinions about this. I think as much as I respect him, that John MacArthur says that that refers to lost people, meaning our Christian duty to call them to salvation honestly in the context of the passage. I don't think it is that. I think it, but it, it fits to say that. We go to the lost and says, awake sleeper, come out of your sin. But I think the context here is those Christians who have soiled their lives too much. And it's time to awake sleeper and stop walking, speaking, and acting in the paths of unfruitful deeds of darkness. Light will expose evil, the light of Christ, that is. Not any light will do it. Not the enlightenment, not French rationalism and, and, and all of the various ideologies of the world. Islam won't do it. Buddhism won't do it. The New Age, none of those things will do it. But Christianity, because of Christ, will expose evil. All we must do is preach Christ and that he is righteous and that evil will be exposed and someday it will be judged by him. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess. If we preach that, evil will be exposed without us always having to be so graphic like our culture says. We do not call the lost or the compromised Christian to Christ or back to Christ by using graphic terms. And again, I would assume nobody here per se is entangled in this problem. And yet in a way, I would suspect we all are a little bit. We're a little more inclined to, tell, to assume in, a, let's say, a very, a very, in a good way, adult conversation, say, between two ladies in the church that are talking about one of them in the years past had an unfaithful husband. And a, and, a, and a college student walks up, a young lady, and she joins the conversation. In our world today, too many times, those older Christian women will continue their conversation and go in their minds, oh, she already knows all that. She's on the internet, she knows. Why do we suppose that? Why do we not talk about the, the responsibilities of marriage and unfaithfulness, but not the graphics that we don't need to know? In the same way with the men. I have been in men's Bible studies before. And the older men assume all the young men are just as soiled as they were. And that's wrong. My own son at Moody has had to testify, Papa, I just get up and leave the chapels sometimes. I will walk out, even though I'm required to be there. And I just sent a scathing rebuke. Sorry, I'm, I'm not proud of it, to a higher up in Chicago because he was sent some material about federal law and, and, and uh, 
taking advantage of people on the campus and how we relate to different people and, and what the law requires and all of these things. And I sent this to this particular guy in Chicago and I said, this is a Christian school. The very activities you're describing here cannot even exist at Moody Bible. You, by your own rules, would cast them out as a student. So why would you send sensitivity training then to the students and have every student be required to listen to this and read this? I said it is ungodly, it is filthy, it is putrid, and there's not even any reason why you and I ought to be reading this thing. But certainly young men and young women in the Lord have no reason to read this. Many of them are not married, don't know anything about this, and it ought never be discussed. So the ranting father, a couple weeks later, I got a reply. And, and the reply was actually relatively gracious and said that your son is not required to, will not be required to review those materials. And then said, well, I will take your concerns too, and they named the appropriate people. But do they actually intend to use sacred words? Probably not. But do you understand, brothers and sisters, this is not just small talk. Paul says in the Word of God, expose the darkness by the light of your lives and don't get into the graphic details. We are destroying the hearts of children, telling them things they don't even need to know. Telling young men and young ladies who are not even married details they don't need to know. Talking about sins of the past. Creating arousing interests that don't need to be aroused. It is good, I submit to you, to be ignorant of evil. I have had a, uh, some occasions with Luke where he has said, Papa, I didn't even know what they were talking about. And I said, unfortunately, Luke, I know what they're talking about and I'm glad you didn't know. But do you realize this is 21-year-old young man what is wrong with being ignorant of evil? And again, I would like to assume that none of us are guilty of that, but we need to be aware of that in our culture today. Our own hearts, according to James chapter 1, already know plenty of evil. Every man is tempted by his own heart to sin. I certainly don't need your help, and you don't need mine. I don't need to read World Magazine and learn more details about the, the, the gruesome details about the torture that my brothers and sisters go undergo in another country to know that it's wrong and that it's an abuse and that these things are sinful. See, it isn't just issues related to, we might say, sensuality and moral things. Why do our Christian magazines have to be so graphic? So that literally, I mean, I don't know what y'all do, but this has been a practice for years in my own. Every magazine that comes in gets edited. Pages get ripped out, and we still do it. And you say, you mean you're sheltering your grown children? You bet they are, because they didn't get soiled as early as I got soiled, and I don't want them soiled any longer, any earlier than it has to happen, because they're still going to face these evils in adults. So the stronger they grow in Christ before they encounter these evils, the better they are. Can I urge you, we ought to be ignorant of evil. And we ought to live in light of the gospel. When we rob innocents from those younger than us, because we think that they, they need to know these details, I want to just suggest to you, it's at least part of what Jesus meant when he, he drew the children to him. And more than once he used the illustration of the dangers of misleading them. 
The book of Matthew talks about woe to those who throw stumbling blocks in front of others. And we Christians have bought in too many times to, the, to these worldly ideas that get rolled into our Christian magnet, magnet, excuse me, magazines and publications and we foist it right onto our own children and grandchildren or people in the Bible study and there was no need for it. Preserve innocence of those who are innocent as long as you can. And maybe by God's grace, some of them will leave this world having no idea. They knew the word and they knew this event, this thing in the scripture says it's forbidden. But they never had to know the sordidness of it because they never walked in it. They knew how to tell people, here's what the word of God says and you should forsake this. But they didn't know all the graphic details. How do I close, bring conclusion to this? Let me just list. It's a long list. I'll hit some of them, not all of them. Practical conclusions on the matters of Christians and sacred words. We who are older, who profess Christ, ought to be very careful how we speak in the company of others regarding the news we heard that day, the Christian press, the seminary publications, much sin is embraced simply by speaking too much about the world's activities. There is no need for it. Parents ought to keep their children as ignorant of evil as long as they can. Listen, if they never knew about the debauchery of our day and we rolled the clock back, say to whatever it would be, 100 or 150 years ago, and they lived out on a farm and they... Had, and they, they you know, they washed with a rub board and they collected hay by hand and they did all these various things. At the end of the day, James 1 makes it clear, the book of James, their own heart has enough to deal with with the sin that they have to face their own sinfulness without having to be inundated by the onslaught of it everywhere else around them. We ought to think long on that. Grandparents, listen. We've got to find ways to intervene in helping our grandchildren be shielded from this onslaught. This uncontrolled access to video and movies and internet and everything else is absolutely ripping the heart out of those, of those who are Christians who profess Christ and probably even possess him, but there's a war going on their soul because they keep being fed the deeds of darkness and yet they have been regenerated and there is a war inside and their soul is in turmoil and they don't know who to turn to because grandma and grandpa readily embrace it. You know what I'd say to you? If it's not suitable for them to watch, it's not really suitable for you or I to watch. If it's not suitable for them to hear, is it really suitable for us to hear? Sure, there might be sometimes, maybe in a matter of church discipline, maybe in a matter of two ladies and they're having to deal with a, a problem in a marriage relationship and there must be some detail given. But with those kind of exceptions, by and large, all the stuff that even the conservative Fox filthy news wants us to hear, we don't need to hear it. It is soiling our lives. Ignorance of evil is good.
Use discreet and veiled words in our discussion of sinful things. Use gracious and uplifting language. Speak only necessary information when speaking of some sinful matter. Leave the details out. Speak practicing using veiled language. Might I suggest turn off the TV, turn off the videos if they're not innocent and uplifting. Again, there are none of us innocent. We're all sinners. But there's no reason for us to help others waller in the pit of sin. Get, get rid of the phones and the tablets that degrade. I'm not telling you you can't use a, a smartphone or a tablet or any of these other devices. But if they're degrading, if the truth is that much of what it's been using for is not edifying, then ask yourself the question, do I need this? Keep in mind the children's song for those that even know of it anymore. Oh, be careful, little eyes, what you see. Oh, be careful, little ears, what you hear. Oh, be careful, little tongue, what you say. careful little eyes. Be careful little heart whom you trust. For the Father up above is looking down in love. You and I ought not be those who help soil hearts, even we who name Christ, because we've lost the beauty of sacred words. Remember Jesus' words, then I'll close. In Matthew 5, 16, he said, Let your light shine before me, before men, in such a way that they may see your good works, and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Can I suggest to you one great way to do that beyond the obvious evangelism and leading Bible studies and those kind of things and participating in them is simply using words and speech and imagery that edifies, that causes them to see that Christianity is, is obviously something that's it's not just quaint, it's pure. And everything else I encounter out here is so degraded. I must know more about these claims of Christians. Now, clean up your vocabulary from careless words, your eyes from degrading images, your ears from filthy hearing. Wash your hands. I need to wash my hands of dirty doings. Focus on that which is holy and pure. Speak with discreet words. Speak with sacred words. May I suggest the language of Zion is a kind of beautiful language. Maybe we should use it more. Obviously, if you don't know Christ as Savior, you can't restrain yourself from any of these things. So even here in a small group, maybe it's a child, but if there's an adult, someone who has never surrendered to Christ... You will never walk as a child of light. And if you tried, it'll be a fake. And you'll be exposed someday. You're owned by the prince of darkness, but the great hope is just run to the cross and surrender. Give up and cry out to Jesus for that cleansing mercy that comes through what he does at Calvary. It'll take away all your religiosity and your performance and you'll be the real deal, really born again, child or adult. For those of us who are Christians... I would just ask you to go home. You'll probably agree with everything I said, and that's all right. 
But to remember Paul's words in verse 12, it is disgraceful even to speak of the things which are done by them in secret. Maybe God will grant us with increasing courage to embrace sacred words. Words that propel people to consider that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And we demonstrate it both by our words and by our actions. Because here's a person who maybe I don't even understand, but they are obviously sacred. There is something very set apart about them. Let's bow in prayer. Father, would you bless the brethren and certainly if I've made error in any particular illustration or, or matter today, I ask you grant them the grace to forgive that and to take that which is true and build and move from that. Help us as a people, Lord, who live in a very soiled world not to live that way in our own lives. Not to abuse grace by simply saying, oh well, Christ covered it at Calvary. But actually to live in a growing holiness, uh, an awareness that we are being made into the likeness of Christ, that we're, we're longing to hear well done someday. Help us to think today, Lord, as we go home, about the words of our mouth and the meditations of our heart, that they might be acceptable to you and they might build up others around us because they're not impure words. They're not soiled like the terrible culture that is around us so that we might live as little lights for our Savior who is the great light of the world. I ask that you bless the brethren and thank you for this opportunity at least to consider Paul's words. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.